Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect the disconnected to a growing relationship with God. You can connect with God, and we can help. Hey, Connect. As Alex said, my name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors on the team here, and I'm thrilled that you decided to join us today because we are kicking off a new series. And in this series, we're answering the most important question that we can answer. But it's also the most controversial question that we could talk about. You see, it's the most important question because if we can get this question right, it'll not just impact how we live now, it'll actually impact the rest of our lives. It'll impact eternity, in fact. It's also the most controversial question because if you bring up this question at a family dinner or in a classroom discussion, you got to hold on tight because it's coming. People are loaded with opinions and emotion around their answer to this question, but we're going to answer it together through an eyewitness account. And the question is this, it's who is Jesus? You see, there was this guy who was born in 3 or 4 BC And he started a grassroots movement that has become the largest world religion. Who is Jesus? Some curse his name, others praise his name. Who is Jesus? If you bring him up in a conversation, you do got to hold on tight because things are about to erupt. Who is Jesus? There are thousands of historical records on his life. It's nearly impossible to deny this guy's existence, but what is his identity? Who is Jesus? And the question is simple, but the answer really is game-changing. It changes how we live now. It changes how we're going to experience life in the future. And if you've, you know, never considered who Jesus is, you've probably heard who your parents think he is, maybe some professors from college. could be a camp counselor. What they think comes to mind when you think of who is Jesus. We know what our friends think. We know what all these other people in our lives think about Jesus, but who do you say Jesus is? Because it doesn't really matter for you what they think. It matters what you think, how you would answer this question. If you listen to this message and join us for the rest of this series, you're going to get to hear from not just me, not just the other teachers on our team. You're going to get to hear from an eyewitness account about who Jesus is. This guy, his name was John. He was one of Jesus' closest friends and followers. And he didn't just, you know, watch and was there when Jesus called the disciples to follow him or performed miracles or even shared the Last Supper. This guy saw Jesus die on the cross. He saw Jesus risen from the grave. But he didn't just keep it to himself. You see, Jesus changed John in such a profound way that he made it his goal to record his experience with Jesus for us. And the reason he did this, he tells us, is this. This is at the very end of his gospel, the gospel of John. This is from John 20. He says, but these, referring to Jesus' signs and miracles that John has recorded throughout his gospel, he says, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. You see, John 
John came through on that purpose when he wrote the Gospel of John. And it's one of the reasons when people will ask me, like, how do I get to know Jesus? Or how do I start reading the Bible? Like, where do I begin? This thing's kind of long. It's not really exactly in order. Like, where do I start? I always point them to the Gospel of John. Like, if you want to get to know Jesus, read the Gospel of John. If you want to grow in your faith in Jesus, read the Gospel of of John. Now, just so you know at the outset, if you're going to join us for this quest to answer this question, to know Jesus as he said who he was, he made seven statements throughout the Gospel of John uh, that he claims, this is my identity. He also performed seven different signs, miracles, demonstrating, revealing his identity. If you join us for this quest, I'm just going to warn you up front, it's going to challenge the way you think because it's going to confront the way you live, but it can also change the trajectory of your life in a really good way. And when we get to know Jesus, what we find is that when we discover his identity, it changes our identity, which is what we're going to see today. So if you've got a Bible, why don't you do this? Turn with me to John chapter 1. We're going to be in verses 1 through 18 today. If you need a Bible, we've got free Bibles in the back. You can also follow along in our church app. Now, as we prepare to dive in and and start this journey, this quest together, to answer this question, who is Jesus? Let's do this. Let's pause. Let's pray. And let's ask Jesus reveal himself to us through his word. Lord, we come before you and we thank you for your word. We thank you that when we read it, we get to know you more. And we thank you that we get to do that now. We ask that you would speak, that you'd speak through the words you had John record 2,000 years ago and the words that you'll give me to speak here in the moments ahead. So we ask that you'd give us hearts to hear uh, and ears that are just open to listening what you have for us. Whether we're exploring faith in you or whether we've been following you for decades, we want to know you, Jesus. So reveal yourself. In your name we pray. Amen. John opened his gospel in a familiar way. It's actually, it echoes, it mirrors the opening of the whole Bible. He writes this, beginning in John 1, 1 and following. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. In these five verses, what John does is he uses this Jewish exegetical, Jewish study technique called Midrash, and he does that to prove a point, and his point is that the Word pre-existed before creation, because the Word is the source of creation. This echoes you know, Genesis 1.1. You know, John opens, in the beginning was the word. Genesis 1.1 says this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. As God spoke the first creation into existence, John introduces us to the word who is going to usher in a new creation. The word, or logos in the Greek, the original language that John wrote this, it had this uh, rich network of meetings, all kinds of associations that 
John's original audience would have had when they read what he wrote. There were biblical associations, there were philosophical associations. Biblically, this word logos, it has associations with divine revelation, creation, personified wisdom, the law of Moses. But then on the philosophy side of things, there was this stoic philosophical belief that the logos was this impersonal force, this impersonal thing that helped order the cosmos. So you've got these philosophical associations, these biblical associations, and when John's audience would have heard this or would have read this, that's what's all going on in their mind. And that's a, that's a big deal because he's drawing upon all these things. He's going to highlight what's true and he's going to dismiss what's false. He's revealing the identity of the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. When a Jehovah's Witness knocks on your door, what they're going to try to convince you of is that a better translation of this passage would be something like, and the word was a God. The word was a God. Like there are multiple gods. That's what they're going to try to convince you of. And respectfully, all that they demonstrated is that they have an elementary, uneducated understanding of the Greek language. Now, I, I would not lead with that, okay? Not going to be very loving, but it's true. You see, even if you took Greek 2, let alone Greek 3 and Greek 4, which is the standard you know, protocol for someone who wants to do what I do, okay? Even if you took Greek 2, you would know that there is a grammar rule that basically says, look, the translation committee, like the team of people who studied the original language and kind of translated it into English so that you and I can understand it, they did it accurately. There is not a multitude of gods. There is one God, one true God, God Almighty. And that is a really, really big deal. Because what Paul, or excuse me, not what Paul, we've been in Rome, we were in Romans for so long, I have Paul on my mind. What John is saying is that there was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. You see, the Word and God, they're distinct and yet they're united. And if you think about that for any length of time, it's like mind blown. Because our, our finite minds struggle at times to grasp our infinite God. This is just verse 1. Verse 2 and 3, we see that the Word was the source of creation. And because He's the source, He rules over creation. Then in verse 4, we learn that it was in Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Life and light. These are going to be recurring themes, recurring words that you're going to hear time and again as we go through John. Life actually occurs 36 times throughout the Gospel of John. That's a lot of times. Sometimes it appears as eternal life, as John will often describe it, because what he's getting at is salvation. Someone connecting in a relationship with God, experiencing the very presence of God. And light. Light occurs 21 times throughout the Gospel. It's another key recurring theme. And here it's echoing uh, God's first act of creation where he speaks and then there's light. But it also alludes throughout scripture, it alludes to salvation, it alludes to spiritual awakening. Like coming to the light. A light bulb moment. 
John's point being, as light makes physical life possible, Jesus makes spiritual life, eternal life possible. Because as we're going to see in a moment, what John reveals is the word is Jesus, which means Jesus was with God in the beginning. Jesus is God. Jesus is the source of creation, and he is the one who rules over creation. And Jesus is life and light. But John's just getting started. He continues in verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. Okay, this could be just a little confusing because here we have the Apostle John writing this account, and is he like referring to himself here? He's not. He's referring to John the Baptist, actually Jesus' cousin. And his cousin, John the Baptist, his whole responsibility was to get people ready for the coming Messiah, for the one they'd been waiting for. So John was baptizing people in the Jordan River, and he was telling them, look, you got to get ready. The Messiah's coming. The Messiah's coming. That was John's role. And John was doing that very thing. And like John, you know, we should be witnesses. We should testify to the light so that all might believe, so that others can come into the light as well. When we know Jesus, other people have got to know. That should not be a secret that we keep to ourselves. John certainly didn't. John the Baptist, John the Apostle, and we shouldn't either. John the Apostle continues to describe things this way in verses 9 through 13. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. How tragic. How tragic that the Word who made the world, who rules over the world, came into the world, but the world did not recognize Him and it did not receive Him. Meaning, there are people who who don't know true life, eternal life. They haven't recognized the light because they don't believe in Jesus. He said, yet to all who did receive him, though, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. If we recognize the light and receive him who is life, then he, Jesus, makes us children of God. We get a new identity. It changes who we are. If we believe in Jesus, we become children of God. But don't take that for granted. Because there are people who don't believe in Jesus, who haven't received him. And they're experiencing life right now, apart from God. And they're on a crash course for life forever, apart from God. But for those of us who do believe, who have recognized the light, who have received him who is life, if we believe in Jesus, we become children of God. And this means that no longer is our identity first in uh, our education level, our economic status, our sexual orientation, our family of origin. No, 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 no. We've got a new identity. 
We are child of God. We're children of God, sons and daughters of God Almighty. So we receive this new identity, but in that new identity is a community. You see, by being a child of God, we are part of the family of God. We're part of the church. And we have a place that we can belong. With Jesus, we get fresh, fresh perspective on life. We get a, a new identity personally. We get a community to belong with. And we get a purpose to live. Because when we connect with Jesus, it doesn't stop there. Now we are commissioned by him. We're sent by him. We're empowered by him to now connect others with him so they can experience life too. Why, why wouldn't you want to follow Jesus? Why wouldn't you believe in him? You know, when I was... Uh, in middle schools, like eighth grade, I was going to a church plan. I noticed something different about the people there. And our church was meeting in a hotel ballroom. So we did this event, Super Bowl party came, everyone came, we watched the Super Bowl together. But instead of watching the halftime show, we did baptisms in the hotel pool, us and whoever else was enjoying their evening. And I chose to get baptized that night because I knew I wanted a relationship with God and Jesus is the way. He's the only way. So I publicly declared this belief in Jesus by getting baptized in a hotel pool of all places. And it's changed everything for me. Because when we understand Jesus' identity, when we understand who he is, it changes who we are. And here's a little more about who Jesus is. Verses 14 through 18. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. That's John the Baptist, that is. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. Okay, there's a lot here to unpack. The Word who was with God in the beginning, the Word who is God, the Word who uh, is life and light, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. That's what John says. The Creator entered into His creation. What? No way. But that's what happened. Because God's not some cosmic watchmaker who like fine-tuned everything in the universe and now is just like kicking back, watching it all unfold. What we see is that the Word became flesh. He, he moved into the neighborhood. Our God, he is transcendent and he's imminent. He is overall and he is personal and he's relational and he's close by. The son of God, who is fully God, became fully man so that you and I can know God too. Jesus proves that God is personal, that God is relational. Jesus is the embodiment of love. He is full of grace and he's full of truth. He, there is a moral standard. And when we fall short of that, he still extends mercy to us. 
He's full of grace. He's full of truth. And the text said, he made his dwelling among us. The original language, the Greek, was to like dwell in a tent or tabernacle. And that would have been language that would have resonated with this original audience because way back when God had freed his people, the Israelites, from 400 years in slavery, you know, the plagues come, God parts the Red Sea, they make their way through, they end up at Mount Sinai, they're on their way to the promised land. When God gave Moses the law to share with his people, one of the things that God relayed to Moses was where Moses was to meet with God along the way in the journey. And he gave Moses very detailed descriptions of this tent that he was to set up when they set up camp. Okay, I love setting up camp. Like growing up, we would go camping a couple times a summer as a kid. I loved it. And when we got to our campsite, it was my dad and my responsibility to pop up our L.L. Bean tent. Super fun. This tent was took a lot longer to pop up because it was very ornate. The detail for this tent is unbelievable. I mean, you could look at it in the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures. You know, you could look at it and see the, the detail there, but just take my word for it. It was a detailed tent because God is a holy, glorious God. And he wants people, even in transit, to recognize that. This tent was called the tabernacle. And here we see God posting up amongst his people. Not in a physical structure, but in a physical person. God was posting up in his people like he had done thousands of years prior, but now in a new way, in a greater way. And I love how Eugene Peterson puts it in his paraphrase of this passage. He says it this way, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. He's right there right there with them. God's not distant or disengaged. God is personal, and he wants a relationship with you. And you have to look no further than Jesus to know this is true. After all, John concluded his opening remarks, where he's kind of done this philosophical discourse, where he's really trying to paint this picture of who the Word is, who Jesus is. He closed it by recognizing Jesus is the way to God. You got to know Jesus if you want to know God. He said it this way, verse 18, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God. And as in his in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. Jesus was God in a body. And Jesus made God known. He made him known to the people who uh, walked the earth with him, made him known to John, made him known to us. It's, it's through Jesus that we can know God. And when I think of, how, you know, if you wanted to get to know Jesus, or if you wanted to grow in a relationship with God, one of the best things you could do would be invest five minutes a day and read a chapter of John. That's it. it you could read a chapter of John, it takes about five minutes a day, and you could actually finish the whole gospel of John by the end of the month. If you started today, if you started tomorrow, Heck, if you start Tuesday, like if you start today, you could actually read the whole Gospel of John. You could get to know Jesus. You could get to know him for the first time. You could grow in your relationship with him if you know him. You could do that this month. But I want to challenge you to invest more than five minutes a day because you can actually compound that investment if you do something like this. If you, when you're reading the chapter of John, if you would just prayerfully reflect on that chapter 
and apply what you learn, it's going to change things for you. You will not be the same person a month from now than you are today. Here's what this kind of looks like. Here's how I prayerfully reflect on and try to apply what I'm reading when I read scripture. Like today, I read John 1. Knowing I was going to talk to you about it, I read not just through verse 18, I read the whole thing. And when I got downstairs, what I did is I grabbed my iPad. It's where my Bible is. It's where my journal is. And I can look at them side by side. And I like that. So I grabbed that. I sit on the corner of my couch and I pause because I'm like a doer. I just want to like get after the thing. And this isn't a, a box to be checked. This is a relationship to be pursued. So I just paused and I said, speak, Lord, your servant is listening because I want to hear from him. Every morning I want to hear from him. And then I opened up and I read John chapter one. And then I used a very simple acronym to help me prayerfully reflect on the passage. And the acronym is this, SOAPS. Some of you have heard me share this before, so I'll just share it very briefly now. S stands for scripture. I literally wrote down the verse that stood out to me, okay? Today, it happened to be, I believe it was verse 16, okay? Yes, I'm talking about the grace that God has shown us. I just wrote it down word for word. That's the S. The O stands for observation. Here, I just wrote out what that verse said in my own words. So I'm trying to understand what the truth is here. That's S-O-A, application. What do I need to do about it? Just write that down. Making a commitment before God. Hey, that's what I'm going to do. That's how I'm going to live differently. By the power of His Spirit working in me, that's how I'm going to live differently. S-O-A. P is pray. So this is where I just, I ask God to make that truth true of me. Then I talk to him about everything else that's going on in life, which is a lot of different things. And then the final S is share. I ask, all right, God, who do I need to share this with? Who do I need to share this passage with? Who do I need to share this truth with? Soaps, scripture, observation, application, prayer, share. It's not the only way to prayerfully reflect and apply scripture, but it's a tool that I found helpful for me to do that very thing. And here's the challenge for you. Figure out a way to read through the Gospel of John and compound that investment of time by prayerfully reflecting on what you read and committing to apply what you learn. Because when you do, it will change you. And here's the deal. Yes, reading scripture is going to change you. And yes, you're going to grow in your relationship with God, a relationship you're created for. And you're also created to grow in that relationship with God with others. It's just part of how God's wired us. It's one of the reasons COVID was so hard on us individually as a society. We're relational beings. And we will frequently say, we believe that following Jesus is better together. And I would say exploring Jesus is also better together. So whether you're exploring faith in him, whether you've been following him for a long time, don't do it alone. Honestly, that's where heresy comes from, okay? So don't go that route. But if you can do it with others, what you'll find is that you can grow in your faith and they can grow in theirs and you become good friends in the process. And one of the contexts that we do this is in what we call a community group. It's like a group of eight to 16 adults. They meet in a home sometime during the week and they talk about the passage that was preached on the previous Sunday. So for example, those of you in community groups, you'd be talking about John 1, 1 through 18 when you gather this week. If you're not in a group, you should totally join a group. It's a great way to make friends. It's a great way to grow in your faith. 
And as you're exploring Jesus, as you're getting to know him more, as you're growing in your relationship with him, you're going to want to be in one of those groups this fall. So you can find out more in the app, or honestly, you can come talk to me after service. I can either share about the group we're leading, new group on Sunday evenings, we'd love to have you, or I can connect you with one of our other group leaders at Let's Connect, and that way you can get plugged in right away. Now, most of us, I just know you. I I look out, I know you, I know the face, I know your story, I know a little bit about what's going on in your life, and I know that you're gonna read the Gospel of John. You're just gonna do it. I know you are. You're like, I could, I could read a whole Gospel in a month? Sure, why not? I'll give it a shot. I, I know most of you are in community groups. Like, you're already in a group. You're connecting with others. You're growing in that relationship as well. The challenge for you is to connect people with Jesus. So who are you gonna invite? Who are you gonna read the Gospel of John with and talk about it? It could be your kids. could be a coworker. Who are you going to invite to explore Jesus on a Sunday? You know, is it a neighbor that you could bring with you? Maybe it's at the gym. In between sets, you meet someone and you said, you know, I'm just going to share my story with them. We've been working out together for the last six months. They have no idea that I know Jesus. And that's going to change this week. I don't know what it is for you. But if you know Jesus, people have got to know. Because friends... This is Jesus. Jesus is the Word. Jesus was with God in the beginning. Jesus is the source of creation. He is the one who rules over creation. Jesus is life. Jesus is light. Jesus is fully God and fully man. He is full of grace. He is full of truth. Jesus is the Son of God. And He is so much more. But that, we're going to have to talk about next time. In the meantime... I share what John wrote with you today so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. And by believing, you may have life in his name. Because, here's the deal, Jesus is God and belief in Jesus is the way to God. Want a relationship with God? Starts with a relationship with Jesus. He pursued you first. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for doing that very thing. Thank you for pursuing us. Thank you that while you are high and mighty, you are also close and personal. And we want to know you more. Whether we're super new to this whole faith thing, or we have been following you for decades, we ask that you would grow us in our relationship with you. That, Jesus, you would reveal yourself more and more as we read your word, as we talk about it on Sundays, as we gather in groups to discuss. Would you please help us to know you more? And in so doing, would we also be compelled to share you with others? We ask this in your name.